This episode is brought to you by LegalZoom.com. Visit LegalZoom.com to save on your legal needs like wills for $69, LLCs for $99 plus filing fees, and also get access to a network of legal plan attorneys for guidance. LegalZoom is not a law firm but provides self-help services at your specific direction. Enter discount code Allison for more savings at LegalZoom. That's discount code Allison. This is Corolla Digital. Hey, you guys, it's me, Allison. I just want to say thank you so much for listening. If you like what you're hearing, which, let's face it, you do, tell a friend. You can listen to us all sorts of places. A couple of them would be iTunes or AllisonRosen.com. Allison Rosen, Allison Rosen is your new best friend. Allison, Allison, Hey, everyone. Hi. Hello. Welcome to another episode of Allison Rosen is Your New Best Friend. I am sitting here with Jen Kirkman, Chelsea Lately, comedian, author, writer, podcast host. Are you a producer as well? Sure. Producer. Yeah. I was actually thinking about that earlier. I was thinking that the majority of guests I have on this show are people who, when I introduce them, it's like a number of things. Oh, oh, okay. I feel like that's just becoming sort of the new career to have. I guess it's good. It if it's true, then that's good. But then there are some people who want you to say fifty things, and you're like, "All right, just I don't care what anyone says." Well, what do you say when you introduce yourself? Um, I just say comedian and and I guess author. That's that's perfect. I don't even Excuse know. Me. Do I? In, I don't even know. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, you and I have many things in common, but one of them is that we go to dentists who always assume that we're still students. Oh, you wrote about that on your I read a blog post that you wrote about that. And I identified because whenever I see my dentist, he's always like, so are you um, what are you doing now? You're finishing up school. Like I've been out of school for 45 years. (laughs) I'm a professional human being. But the fact that I have to say that makes me feel like I'm not. And it's already you're already in a place that makes you feel like a kid. anyway. I don't know. But every time I go, um, like I just went. I have porcelain veneers, not to brag, and you know, but I, I find it was something I've been wanting to do for like ten years, and I finally had the money to do it, and I had to get like my teeth straightened first. It was a whole thing that took five years to do. Wow! So I finally got the actual things put in this summer, and I, they they look nice and they feel good, and I'm obviously I'm taking care of them, but I took care of my teeth anyway. Mm-hmm. And so when I just went for my yearly or you know biannually teeth cleaning, she was like, "These are very sensitive," and I'm like. You're talking as though they're damaged. Did I do something to them? And she's like, they scratch easily. And like just basically like when you get them, they're like, these are amazing. Like a car can run them over. And then like when you get your teeth cleaned, she's like, these are very sensitive. I mean, you could – bacteria builds up so easily if you don't floss. I'm like, but I do. So why are you telling me the horror story? But she's right. like, there's no proof to her that I floss because hmm. when she does it, like my face starts bleeding and she's doing some weird thing where it looks like she's going to yank my tooth. Out. And makes- I'm like, yeah, I don't floss like that. Yeah. Yeah. I don't like when when it starts off and you feel like you're already like trying to get back into their good graces. Yeah. Like, I didn't do anything wrong. No, it's a it's a weird environment for me. Yeah. So. So, OK, 
I was not planning to talk this much about the veneers, but now I have to know. How yeah. did you straighten them? Your teeth ahead of time. Like, what was the whole process? Oh, I just had to do Invisalign. Oh, okay. But I was really bad at wearing it. So same thing. Every four weeks, I have to go to my orthodontist, and he can tell if you're wearing it because they fit really perfectly mm-hmm. if you've been wearing them. If not, it's like a little off looking. So I was like the only one on planet Earth that people were like, do you have Invisalign? I'm like, yeah. They're like, yeah, I can see it. I'm like, that's because it's not on properly because I never wear it. Right. It was not Invis. Here's, no. <laughs> You're supposed to wear it like 22 hours a day. It's not just – I would just wear it at night when I slept, if that even. Because mm-hmm. I don't know how you don't constantly eat all day. Like, <laughs> And then I would have to get up and like fully brush my teeth and brush the thing. And I was like, I just won't wear it. Are you supposed to take it out when you eat or – Oh, yeah. Yeah. So he was like, there's two hours a day. I'm like – I, not really. That's just one meal. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. So, yeah. So I would have to go every four weeks and be like, I'm not wearing it. What do we do? And he'd be like, well, you're going to have to buy another tray. And I'm like, okay. I mean, I don't want to do that all the time, but I don't, I can do it today. And he's like, well, that's a waste of money. But it was like 50 bucks here. Mm-hmm. But I was like, I, I just, I can't. Or if I was like on the road, I would forget them at home and that's 48 hours without it. And he can see that. But so. now you have perfect teeth. On the top, yeah. I'm sure the bottom is. <laughs> but yeah, yeah, on the top, it's finally perfect. Was that something that you were self-conscious about before? Yeah, I always had – this is really dumb, but my <laughs> – when I was um, eight years old, after my adult teeth came in, I fell off my bike on my face. And it like kind of – it killed one of my teeth, so I had to get this bonding because my tooth turned black because like the nerve died. So I had this like 1980s bonding on my two front teeth, which grew – like they grew in weird anyway. They were bigger, like way bigger than the rest, and I always thought that looked weird. And then the teeth next to them were like way shorter than teeth should be. So I always felt like I had all these uneven teeth, whether they were straight or not, Mm -hmm. and I just didn't like the way it looked. And then – Years, you know, when I got my teeth professionally whitened, they were like, the bonding isn't going to whiten because it's from 1984. And I was like, that's okay. But then, like, in the sunlight, you could see that it was, like, a darker color. And I was like, oh, it did start to bother me after a while. Mm-hmm. And then, um, yeah, so I finally was like, I'm just going to get every tooth, like, the same length and color and so I can look like a like a newscaster. <laughs> Yeah, I'm very torn. Personally, I'm very beautiful teeth. By oh, the way, oh, these old things. Thank oh, yeah. You. I mean, they're perfect. They're like no. what I paid to look. No, like. they're they're. Mm, thank you. Um, I am. I'm like torn about correcting physical things because there are those people who are like, well, if you change that, then you're just going to want to change like a million other things. When when are you going to be happy or whatever? You know, oh, who's but that person? It's the person who, whenever I'm like. Whenever I met, like I've been considering a nose job since I was fourteen or something, you know, and really? I'm like, I'll probably never do it no, because don't. Your I'm. Nose is is perfect. Oh my god! So... Let me see your profile. Oh my god, it's adorable. No, that was the better side. It's this. <laughs> I don't even. I how would I notice your side? I oh, mean, but, but I don't think. See, I think if there's one thing that bothers you, and that like bothers other people, like. You could see it on TV sometimes, and people would be like, "What's wrong with your teeth?" And I'm like, mm-hmm. "All right, all right." Like, so they people would say it pe- once in a while, but it yeah. just takes out one person. See, that's oh, I know. See, that's yeah. the thing. I think because there are, I think, I think it's an argument against plastic surgery. Actually, yeah. this like, but will you really be happier? Will you just turn into some like Heidi Montag or something? Oh, Not that I'm, anyone's ever said that to me, but I think. But then I think, but there are things. That you can correct and you actually feel better and then you don't worry. You're not like there there go. I mean, then you're not self-conscious about that particular thing anymore. Yeah. And I actually am happier. Not like 
I'm so stupid that that could actually make me happy. But it does, you know, like let's just say you're meeting someone for the first time and you can smile without going, I, I do brush my teeth. I'm not dirty. It's just that this tooth died. Like it, you look kind of more human. So yeah, way, yeah. I, I did that too. I had one thing changed and kept never, going. Yeah, it was fine. That's he, why he, has he used tits. to be four foot boobs. 11. I did. I did. I had a leg inserts put in. <laughs> what did you have changed? Can you see this little like mark in the middle of my forehead? Not from no. there. There's a slight mark there because it like started to grow back. But I had like a very prominent mole that was like very dark and big right in the middle of my forehead. Oh, that would make me nuts. Yeah. yeah. I did not like it. And, you know, it was an easy thing for kids to pick on. So it was like it was pointed out very, very often. And I was like, fuck this. Let's get rid of it. And, yeah. they, did you go to a plastic surgeon? I can't remember if it was a plastic surgeon or just like a tire like salesman a, like a tight dermatologist <laughs> no. or something like a high-end dermatologist but yeah i don't know well they did a well, good job because right. i can't see yeah. anything and that, yeah yeah it's it, and listen i've never looked back and was like well if that's fixable i just mm-hmm. yeah me too i don't have anything even stuff i want to change i'm like it's fine who the fuck cares yeah so you are currently on hiatus today's the last day of your hiatus yes. right thank you so much for coming feeling. in of course on the last day so what did you do over your hiatus and how long was it this is your hiatus from chelsea lately where you're a what is your title over there um writer okay not um writer just writer <laughs> um but i also appear on the show as well in sketches and whatnot and, and after lately you're featured prominently yes that is over though that's been over for a little, we're a little featured while, but prominently. we're featured yeah um it was 17 days long and it it was the first time I've had – we have like four hiatuses a year, which are usually like anywhere from 7 to 14 days. And all of them this year I was on the road. So I didn't have any days off ever. And so I – and then I went to – my family lives in the East Coast. I went to Massachusetts on Thanksgiving to visit. And I was like, I'm not going anywhere in December. I'm going to live like I'm unemployed but have money. <laughs> and so it's I was – It's a dream. Yeah. So I for 17 days stayed in L.A., watched movies – Went to Pilates class, went hiking, ran errands, saw friends, slept, did nothing. Nothing. And it was the greatest. That sounds great. And I almost, like, I went nuts and booked a trip to New York because I was like, I'm fucking losing my mind. And then I canceled it. And I got all my, I got a refund. I'm not, like, that crazy. But it was, um, <laughs> but I was like, just sit still because every time I'm, you know, at work or on the road, I'm like, I'm so busy. I'm so tired. Mm-hmm. And so I was like. Now I know that I'm more of a workaholic than not because I didn't like the 17 days. It was great, but I, I was starting to lose my mind. Did you find – I don't know what your mood is normally like when you're busy, mm-hmm. but did you find that your mood was different when you had – like like for me, I uh-huh. was like, wow, I'm actually much more even keeled when I'm not reacting to all this work stuff. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I'm yes, I'm probably more even keeled when I don't have like because my thing is like my schedule is always so tightly packed there's no room for error. So one thing happens and I'm talking like dropping a salad on the floor. Like it can be It's hard to get a salad off the floor, especially <laughs> if there's dressing on it. It can be like emotionally crippling. So that kind of stuff, yeah, like more even keeled, but then more mellow and more contemplative and more uh just kind of I don't know, da- like actually down because I was sitting down, laying down, sleeping. Mm-hmm. So I was just kind of – it's not for me, I don't think. Like more mellow, introspective, heading towards melancholy? Yeah. Like if I'm introspective and working, I can put that into my work or I can make a joke about it or I can turn to someone and talk about it or whatever. But I spent a lot of time alone. So I was like, uh And I'm not alone like on an island where it's just relaxation. It was like <laughs> it was like home – like home uh, – what do you call that? 
when you're a bad person, but you don't go to jail. House arrest? House arrest. It was like mm-hmm. house arrest. Yeah. Yeah. I I can be the same way in that when I'm working and busy and moving, I don't fixate on something as much. Whereas yeah. I can really sort of go be become overly contemplative yeah. when I'm like just – when I don't have anything else that is inside my head that I have to think about. That makes it sound like there's not even a brain inside <laughs> my head sometimes. That's all we think about, teeth and – that's it. <laughs> Yeah, teeth, potential <laughs> potential plastic surgery. Um, let's see. I, I made some little notes here. Oh, my some God. Some of the things I want to talk to you about. Um, okay, so you were kind of a fearful kid, right? Yes. And I know that you talked about being really freaked out by watching The Day After. Yes. Which I don't think I saw. So for people who – for listeners – there's so many people in this world who are really young. Have you noticed? Oh, I've noticed because they, they don't <laughs> know everywhere. the references. Yeah. And I feel like I obviously don't know a lot of references because I am not 50 or 60 mm-hmm. or 70. But I feel like my parents – well, I don't feel like it's true. My parents are a lot older than most parents are of a 38-year-old or 39, however old I am. They're in their 70s. So when I was a kid in the 80s, there was a lot of 50s culture going up, growing up um, that was – very much in my home. And then my sisters were older and that was 70s stuff. So I knew about all different eras. Like I didn't have to Google if there was such a thing like who's Elvis, you know, (laughs) but now I feel like people haven't even heard swirling around things. It was Gary. I think it was, is it, was it Gary who doesn't know who Christy McNichol is? Yeah. Like that name never just swirled around to you. I mean, that's not like that crazy, (laughs) but she was like the big hot it just feels – she just feels like us. someone you can make a reference to. People yeah. People know. But, and Gary, I bet you don't know what the day after is either. Nope. So this was a made-for-TV movie yeah. about um, a nuclear apocalypse. It was a nuclear war with Russia. So Russia in the movie bombed Lawrence, Kansas. And I believe we retaliated. <laughs> and so it was just like – yeah, it was supposed to be the – and what's amazing if you – kids go on youtube and look up clips of the day after and then realize that it won an emmy for best like special effects and if you look at it now it's like laughable and back then it was so terrifying but the movie was like yeah it was a made for tv movie and they actually showed what would happen right people People being vaporized yeah vaporized disintegrating running running from the town square and like not able to get in their car and drive away i don't have i don't have a memory of ever seeing it, but I was aware that that's what happens if there is a nuclear bomb that people just like vaporize, basically. And I know a lot of people who are our age who that was sort of a seminal moment in their childhood, this awareness that they could be standing there and suddenly it all goes away. Yeah. Um, it's funny, too. Like the other thing that was really scary to me was what the nuclear bomb can do before it even hits, just the magnetic whatever in the air is it showed a lot of people on the car in on the highway or freeway in their cars and the car just won't start cuz like the battery doesn't work anymore so you can't even drive away yeah. not that driving away would help but yeah it was really scary cuz i remember my parents trying to relate to me going well we had duck and cover drills in the 50s and i was like but of what kind of bomb was it i don't think it was nuclear bombs really and this made – I don't know, but we weren't supposed to watch it. That's what I read about my book. We were not mm-hmm. – we were told not to watch it. Our teacher sent home a note. And then my parents were very like, we're watching this. You have to know what's going to happen. Was it a cultural event at the time? Yes, I think it was. I think it was like – Roots. Yeah. Yes, exactly. I was going to say the Olympics, but I think Roots is a better example. But I was the only one. So I came to school the next mm-hmm. day like freaking out. Had you been a fearful kid before that? Like I guess where I'm sort of going to is yeah. where do you think – 
the fear came from or comes the from. The seeds were planted. Like whether or not it was the day after, it would have been something else. Because my my mom's mom, my grandmother, who is like a big influence in my life in terms of we saw her once a week. She was um, – and her husband had been dead since I was born. So she was this very Catholic woman, but not Catholic like – that made any sense. It was like very superstitious, like believed in aliens, believed in Jesus is coming back, believed in heaven and hell, like, you know, monsters and things burning and all that kind of stuff. So she would always just kind of not trying to scare me, not even trying to teach me. It just was. So when I would be around her, that's the kind of stuff they talked about. Like the world is going to end in the year 2000. That was something my grandmother said to me, like, (laughs) what? Like, it's just gonna like, because I was, there was a Brady Bunch episode where Bobby and Cindy were saying to their mom and Alice, like, I know what I'm going to be when I grow up. And so I hadn't thought about it to put it in those terms. Cindy said she was going to be a model and an actress, and I'd always want to be an actress. So I like, I thought, oh, that's a real career. Cindy Brady said so. So I went and tried <laughs> to recreate the moment with my mom and my nana um, that I had seen on TV. And my grandmother was like, did you tell her to my mom? And my mom was like, no. And she's like, oh, Jen, the world, Jesus is probably going to come back in 2000, so you'll be 25. So, yeah, you'll have until then. Like, just completely, like... Wow. And I was like, what? And so I was like, I just didn't understand how everyone didn't know this, like how everyone couldn't be freaking out about it. So there was that, and then my, I think my mom and grandmother have, like, actual anxiety, like, Mm -hmm. DNA, in their DNA. So that would have... That would have come out eventually, but it really did start when I was little. But it's one of those things where I didn't know that not everyone felt this way. So I didn't feel like alone or weirded out. I just thought it was something everyone knew, but no one was talking about it. So Mm -hmm. I was like, okay, so we won't talk about it, but I'm sure all the kids near me feel the same way. And where did your dad fit into all this? He's more of the like guy on the couch that's just letting everybody spin out and operate around him like he kind of lost his religion somewhere in life and so he just would watch highway to heaven episodes (laughs) that was his religion so he was just like oh don't be afraid of anything but i for some reason he didn't carry as much weight in my psyche as my mom and grandmother did like they lived in my head for a long time Mm -hmm. so even though he was more neutral he had no effect on me in that sense like it was too late like the dna was off and running and and your your older sisters, how much older are you? Are they than you? They're fourteen and ten years. So by the oh, wow. time I started like becoming my mom and my grandmother, they were out of the house. Mm-hmm. So they weren't even there to be like, what? This is nonsense. And it wasn't until like I was um, twelve. I remember we had this priest who was supposed to be the cool priest, and he looked. He actually looked like Zach Galifianakis, but I didn't know who that was. But that, looking back, that's who he looked like. And he had a very goofy demeanor, and he was really cool and told stories. Instead of, like, just reciting old parables, he would be like, oh, I went fishing this weekend. And so I thought, he's, he's going he's gonna to be able to straighten this out. He's not the old guard. And I asked him, and he's like, yeah, a lot of people think that. And, you know, a lot of signs point to it. But don't, don't be scared. It's going to be a magical time and, and all this. And I was like, Oh, fuck. Something (laughs) happened in my head where I was like, you are all crazy. Like, I don't know what it was, but even though I thought, well, maybe it's still going to happen, I was like, I'm angry now that you told me, that you told me, that everyone has these bizarre – I just was like so mad about it that it kind of blew off all the steam. And then I didn't think about it again until like 1999. I was like, what if? But I was an adult by then. How old were you when you talked to the Zach Galifianakis priest? I was like 12. And then just something in me at that point was like, I don't think I buy this. I'm not really going to worry about it. Mm-hmm. But I, yeah. And I was just like, if the cool priest is acting like this, then maybe just a bunch of people were taught shit that, you know, 
is wrong and they're scared and they don't know what else to say. But yeah, I was done with it all at that point. And did your mom believe the world was going to end in 2000? I think my mom was kind of where I was. Like, I think she was like, her mother had told her that her whole life. And so she was ready. And then when then when it started being talked about, like Y2K, I remember my mom saying, see, see, this is, it's the world as we know it is going to end. We're not going to have banks and the internet anymore or whatever. It's going to be, we're going to start over sticks and stones. And I was like, all right, well, maybe that will happen. Like, the other thing people thought, I don't know if you remember, is that without that like because the clocks were the world clocks that control everything weren't set so it in uh when 2000 when the bell rang and it's 2000 they said like all electronics yeah, are going to go to zero that. so that's when i thought well maybe all the electronics that keep the nuclear bombs from exploding <sighs> it'll just like the, everything will just explode. That was kind of what my family thought. And I was like, well, I can't do anything about that. So, like, that. you really thought the world might end I thought tomorrow. maybe something weird, like, it revamped up back in 1999 because I still hadn't successfully, like, come into my own as a human and got <laughs> their voices out of my head. So I was like, maybe, like, yeah, maybe that could happen. At that point, I was like, well, I'm not going to be afraid of it. But I was still like, that could happen. Now, mm-hmm. if you tried to say something like that to me, I'd be like, it's ridiculous. And <laughs> How did you successfully get their voices out of your head? Therapy. Like a back door. I wasn't trying to go for those things, but I started having really bad anxiety and like panic attacks in my 20s. And I went to therapy and I didn't think it had anything to do with my family. And they were like, is there any kind of, you know, you like kind of work backwards. Like, could this be from this and that? And then you realize like, well, these are the beliefs like that I was taught. And they're like, of course, you know, it was like so mm-hmm. slowly that stuff. Of course, some, if my mom heard this, she would think like, I didn't do that. You know, she would be so <laughs> mad. Like, I didn't do that to you. And it's nothing like I would ever blame her for. It's just sort of you learn to think your own thoughts. And so that it was just sort of like backdoor help into getting rid of anxiety in that way. So now it's like they couldn't get in my head if they had a jackhammer. <laughs> <laughs> is that automatic or is that um, – like let me, well, let me – I'll explain. It's a very roundabout way of asking this question. For me, when I'm back at home around my parents, I always have this moment where I'm like, oh, fuck, I forgot that I need to sort of – go into that situation with a certain orientation. I need to have uh my guard up. I need to be aware. I need to not, you know, because like there's certain patterns that happen over and over. And it's like, it's like, it's it's bothering me because I let, I set, I, I walk into all these things, you know? Yeah. And I wish I could just, I wish it could be automatic that I would know how to act as an adult in that situation instead of like repeatedly just kind of bumping into things that are painful. So I'm wondering, is it automatic for you to not let them get into your head? I think now it is automatic, yeah. I And I also just kind of go into the home, like, there can be a certain, like, I can be kind of bossy and like, you guys need to do this. And and it makes people on the, uh, for good reason, on the defensive. So just to stop doing that, I'm just like, I come with like a bucket of love. I'm just like the fun train. It's like, here's Jen. I'm back from the West Coast. Like, let's have fun. Oh, you stop. You know, when my mom tries to pull me aside, you don't know what's going on with I go, oh, stop. I'm just With that. what? Anything. Anything is always like, you don't know. You don't know how hard it is. I'm like, I'm sure it is hard with dad. You're both in your 70s. And he drives you nuts. You've been married 50 years. I go, I don't have to know. I'm not the marriage counselor. I'm the kid. And so I just go, I love you. You can always complain to me, but not about that. And then we hug and it's fine. Oh and God. so where I do ha- you get this bucket of love? Because I, I turn into a 13-year-old in like 45 I seconds. Do, how old are your parents? Uh, my dad is 80, actually. Oh, I yeah. was going to say, maybe it's their age. Cause my, my dad's 80. My mom is, what is she, six? they're 16 years apart. My mom is 64. 
64 or 65. My parents seem so helpless to me in so many ways that I don't – I'd have to be nuts to let them affect me, if that mm-hmm. makes sense. Like, no, it totally does. Yeah. It totally does. Like you're, it sounds like you're seeing them more – like clearly. Yeah. And we just – and also I think when my mom's mom died, like she changed too. Like they have changed a lot in terms of like – they don't have all these – hocus pocus thoughts and then when I see them having it I'm like oh my god like look how trapped they can be in their own fear like the little like they've only each had one job so like the idea of like saying you know I want to raise so I'm not going to get it well then I'm moving on or I'm bored with this I'm going to try that they freak out like two years ago I left the Chelsea Lately show as a writer to write on a sitcom and it was like the most lovely transition it was something I always wanted to do and I said, I'm never going to leave this show unless something falls in my lap. And literally a job writing for a sitcom fell in my lap. I didn't have to like try to get it. It was just these guys saw my stand-up and they're like, that would be a good voice to have in the room. Um, so, you know, obviously I had to show them writing samples, but I didn't like chase this job. And then I just said, well, maybe this is a sign and I should take it. So I took it. My parents could not believe that I'd left Chelsea Lately, which they knew had so many more years on the contract and I got to be on TV. Part of them was right. But they – when I tried to explain to them I just needed to try this because I was going to end up doing something crazy if I was so bored over there. Like Mm -hmm. I was going to blow up or go nuts. Like I had to do something. And they were like – they would – they love comedy. And so they go – every time one of my friends is performing in Boston, they go see it. That's so cute. And they were going backstage to everyone, even people I'm not close with, people whose numbers aren't even in my cell phone, and going, do you think Jen did the right thing leaving Chelsea lately? <laughs> and they're like, I don't know. I mean, what, is she happy? And they're like, well, I don't know. Who cares about that? But did you do the right thing? Like, they think there's a right and wrong. Oh, yeah. And I was like, when I started hearing from people, like, your parents came up to me. I'm like, what are you doing? And they were really just coming up to them to ask them that. So I'm like, they are so, like, they want to help me, but they don't there know. Were, it's were it's it's fear that you're making the wrong decision yeah. but with a uh, couple with not understanding how it all works. And then it was like it kind of was the wrong decision for me. Like I actually didn't like writing on a sitcom at all. Now I know my answer. What sitcom was it? It was called Perfect Couples. It was on NBC. Oh, yeah, Olivia Munn. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it was a great work environment, but I was just you sit in a writer's room like most of the day and it's like not the instant gratification of having jokes on TV that night and it was just different. I just didn't have as much fun Mm -hmm. and then you can't like go on the road as much and you're not on tv anymore so i was like oh this doesn't work and they took me back at chelsea so it was like nothing i'm so glad i did it though like i needed that experience and um right if only to know that that's not what you wanted to do yeah and i think it's good to have that under your belt as a writer like i can do both like it doesn't it counts now like i wrote on a network sitcom like that's a good thing to have Mm -hmm. on the resume and so but my parents are like, oh, my God, what if they hadn't asked you to come back? I'm like, why do we sit around and, like, hypothesize about horrible things that could have happened? But they love to do that. Did you know that you could get your job back? If- no, I didn't. They didn't. I mean, they said when I left, you can always come back. But I was never going to ask because it's such a ball busty, hazing environment mm-hmm. that I was like, if I ask for my job back. It will ne- I will never hear the end of it with love, but I will never hear the fucking end of it. <laughs> and then um, I, my job at the other place ended. I had three months of freelance going on the road, and I was like, God, I want my job back. But I was still friends with my bosses and stuff, so I'd send them a funny text every once in a while. So I just started aggressively flirting, as I called it. <laughs> like if I saw something funny that happened in pop culture, I'd send my boss a joke text like – 
just pretending I was joking around with him. And then they called me and were like, what are you doing? Do you want to come back? And I'm like, yes. <laughs> and now, of course, and I knew this would happen too, it's been completely rewritten that I was miserable and I was upset and I begged for my job back and they were like, of course. Like, so I let that be mm-hmm. because that's just kind of the weird family environment <laughs> we have. But yeah, that I didn't, I didn't know at the time. So how did you um, get that job originally? It was as boring as a boring story could be. I just – my manager was like, they're hiring at this place, Chelsea, lately. I didn't even know what it was. I didn't – for some reason, I didn't run in Chelsea's um, stand-up circles. Even though we performed at the same places and knew the same people, it was literally a matter of I've never run into her in my life. Mm-hmm. And so um, I was like, I've seen her billboards, but I don't know who this person is. And I wrote a packet, and then I got a meeting, and then I think I did well at the meeting, and then I got hired. But it was like a the it was I was thirty four at the time, and it was like I'd been doing this for since I was twenty one, like stand up and odd jobs here and there, and it was like a dark, dark period. Like I had a little success here and there, and then it was just like back to temping, like ten dollars an hour filing at this place. <laughs> I think they thought I was like, and you were living out here. I was living time. out here. I think they thought I was like mentally slow or something because <laughs> I was like filing in this like place that it was like a law office that owned the Arclight Theater in Hollywood. And so they would give me stuff to file and they'd be like, you did that so fast. I'm like, I'm a grown woman. Like I, <laughs> it was very odd. And so even though I didn't want to write on a pop culture show, um, my manager was like, just try it. It's always good to write a packet. Mm-hmm. And then um, turned out I actually liked doing it. And so what's a, a regular day on, at that job like? Well, we get in it, like, depending on what time, it, we tape at different times every day, depending on the day, but we usually get in either at 8.30 a.m. or 10, and we're usually out by 6 or 7. And so you come in, and it's, like, straight to the writer's room, and from the day before, we've collected, like, certain people do different things. We have, like, a research team that collects all the, like, clips, you know, like, dumb reality show clips or something on the internet. So we pitch those to the bosses and Chelsea. Um and just say, like, this could be a cold open and blah, 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 or a topic. We run through those. And then we just – we have a packet of topics that we all compiled the day before. Like, we send them to our writer's assistant, and then she has it ready for the meeting the next day. So then we just pitch things out, like, Tori Spelling got divorced or whatever. And then we just start writing jokes. It's the weirdest room because we don't use computers. We use, like, pen and paper. Mm -hmm. And we – there's, like, little writing teams, so you take notes on your topic, and then you type it up later and, like, finesse it and add more jokes. But for the writer's room, you just, like, everyone screams out jokes at the same time. And then just, like, you write them down, and that's it. And then we just do that until all, you know, until we have six or eight topics. And then we just hustle back to our desks and then start every little bit of production, whether it's little, like, throw to commercial bumpers or sketches or whatever. Mm-hmm. And how is it determined when you do, when you're on the show? Um, it's just sort of like an every other week or every two weeks thing. Like we have kind of our regular thing and we have like, there's like the book, the guy that books all the comedians on the show. So he just treats us like we're not in the building. You know, we just Mm -hmm. get an email like your book for this date. And that's, that's kind of it. Mm -hmm. And you said it's a pretty, I forget the word you used, like hazing kind of a ball busting environment. Yeah. Yes. Now it's it's less, I would say it's less hazing now, or maybe I'm just used to it, but we're actually really nice to each other. Like the writers, like we're like in love with each other. There's like, we've been texting each other, like for example, over hiatus and it's just such a tight group of people. But your worst mistakes, your worst personal moments are always up to be joked about. But usually if you have brought them up in the first place, like, Mm -hmm. you know, this could be a recurring joke forever. 
<laughs> uh, at your expense. So, and then the other thing we've all learned is don't live our life in front of everyone. Like if you don't want people to know who you're dating, do not bring them to a thing. You will never hear the end of it, even if it was just one time or don't get drunk and do something stupid. Like there's a bunch of dumb stuff that we've all done that like mm-hmm. we will all never live down because we were naive back then and just letting it all out in front of people we work with because we were so close. <laughs> what are the dumb things you've done? Um, well, I had like a bad, <laughs> this is like a bad one. It's not, it's funny, but it's not. Okay. When I, it's it's going to be sad, but it's not. Okay. But it is. (laughs) When I got married, which was 2009, I wanted to have a West Coast wedding. And my husband wanted to have an East Coast wedding because we're both from there. And I was like, I'm serious. Let's court. I wasn't a bride kind of person. I'm like, let's courthouse and then have a party out here. If select close immediate family members want to fly themselves out they can but this is not about them this is about us and this is where we're building our life we had completely different points of view on that so i was just bitching about that at work one day and it was one of those things where sometimes you just don't want chelsea to overhear you and she was like what what are you saying and i was like oh um nothing and she was like what and i couldn't come up with a lie fast enough and i was like i want to get married out here and my husband doesn't and she's like well why don't you have two weddings i'll throw you the one out here and i'm like Ugh. like i already knew don't let the boss throw you a fucking wedding like it's just <laughs> not going to be she would never have resentment for the rest of her life over mm-hmm. it but something's going to go wrong and and she had it at her condo at the time and she was like well have it at my condo and, it, you know, you can invite 50 people or whatever. So we had a West Coast wedding just for our friends. And it was – so we get married. We go on the honeymoon. At that point, I'm done. Like I'm done even like celebrating it. I'm like, enough. I don't feel like going through with the West Coast party. Now, do you think – is that just because that's your attitude about weddings or do you think – because you guys got divorced. Yeah, Do you yeah. think you sort of knew already? I, oh, I definitely knew. Okay. I knew on the wedding day. Oh, God. And I think he did too, probably. But we didn't talk about it, of course. Because why would you talk to your husband about the most intimate things in your life? No, definitely save that for podcast after yeah. the fact. <laughs> so I was like not happy, I think. Mm-hmm. So then she's like, okay, let's have the wedding at my place. So then I find out like the day of that her condo, it, she, the party is on the roof of what I heard is a really high building, and I don't really do well with heights. So I took a clonopin before the wedding party. And then when I got there, I was like, oh, it's not that high up. I'm fine. So because I wasn't scared anymore, I don't know what it was, but I, I remember saying to my husband, don't let me drink too much because I took a clonopin, and I'm, it'll make me black out, and I won't know what I'm doing. <laughs> and so he was like, you know what? I can't really police you. Like, if you drink, you drink, which I think is, like, not the best he was a, the nicest person that ever lived. Mm-hmm. I'm sure he still is. But it was just this – I think he already hated me. So he was yeah, just like, like – I, like yeah. I, I'm reacting to that as well. Like, It's so me? not what he's like. He's like the nicest person. Like he'd call in sick and take care of you if you were sick. Mm-hmm. He just – I think just – Had hit a hate, limit or something? He'd hit a limit. He hated me. He was sick of the wedding stuff. He didn't even like the people I worked with. He was just like, drink if you want. I can't stop you. And I was like, okay. And I – Two drinks, blacked out. So I spent most of the party like, is it? I don't know if "id" is the right word, but like a walking id. And I was just saying, just, act, just, just yeah, totally no inhibitions, every, right? Yeah, just saying everything I always wanted to say. And like, I yelled at him in front of everyone. I was like, um, "Why haven't you made a speech yet? Like, you should <laughs> obviously make a speech and be like, hello, thanks for coming, everyone. I love my wife.' Like, what the fuck? And that, I'm like yelling, and everyone <laughs> hears it. And then like, 
the people that helped Chelsea put the party together were like taking all the decorations and bringing them back down to her place, which is what they should do because mm-hmm. it was time to close up the top area that she had rented. It's not like she owned the top area. Um, it was like mutual. You know, you rent it from six to ten. Anyone that lives in the condo can rent it. So it's like ten. And they're, and I'm like, oh, they think we're going to steal these? Like I was acting <laughs> crazy. And then like a friend of mine said something like, you know, nobody danced. You should have put more hip hop on your thing. I'm like, yeah, shut up about what you tell me to put. I mean, it was crazy. So then Chelsea's this after party, which of course I was invited to, but she just wasn't telling everybody. So 50 people weren't in her room. She wanted to just the writers. And, and I come down, well, you're not going to invite me to my own wedding. And so th- th- she had like a catered bartender. And they, thank God, were interns that worked on the show. And they were feeding me virgin drinks. So I didn't know I wasn't drinking. <laughs> Thank God they took the wheel. And th- I was just a psycho. And at the time, she was dating the president of the network and living with him. And I'm, like, yelling at him. And, I mean, my job, I could have lost my job. And then I just remember my sister was there. She had flown in. I yelled at her. And I just remember What did you yell at her about? Do you remember? I uh, just, I don't even know, like, old family shit. Mm-hmm. And then, so we were just driving home. And I was, like, I mean, it really was, like, a nervous breakdown. I just woke up. From the blackout, people are going to think I'm insane listening to this. I was like crying and I was like, what happened? And everyone was just like, it wasn't good. And I was like, oh, no. And then like my husband wouldn't talk to me. And I woke up and my sister and I were in bed together. Not like yeah, I fucked my sister. I'm saying like she slept in the bed with me like because I was mm-hmm. so upset. And I I texted Chelsea. Thank the you next, for clarifying yeah, that. Just in case people thought, what? And so then I text Chelsea the next day. I'm like, I totally get if you want to fire me. I want to apologize, but I don't mm. even know what I did. And it was just like I dreaded going to work on Monday. And everyone was cool about it because it was such a fucking big mess. I mean, do you you have zero memory of any of it? Mm-hmm. Like it was tr- a true blackout. A wow. true blackout. And but you had the sense that something bad had oh, happened. Oh, yeah. And my friends texted me the next day like, we're not going to tell you what you did. But it was bad. And, and That's worse. Yeah. And all the stuff I told you was basically all the stuff I had done, but I didn't remember it. Mm. So they just told me you're just making an ass of yourself. And re- I'm like, why didn't anyone drag me out? I don't understand. So, of course, since they're nice and family, I obviously didn't get fired and everybody was so lovely to me. But after I quit did the Did they junk- all know that you'd taken a clonopin? Like, did they know what was going on? I think I explained it later, but nobody talked about it. And then I left the show came back and the running thing was I came back and was like, hey, I'm getting a divorce. And everyone's like, thank God, you were miserable since that wedding. Remember when you did this? And I was like, what? No, no. <laughs> so like a year and a half later, they told me everything I did. And it's like now this big joke. Hey, I hope you get if you get married again, like don't have a wedding. And I'm like, all right, <laughs> shut up. And now it's like I'm, I pitched a show to, um, to uh, FX this year. And Chelsea is my production company. Mm-hmm. She has her own production company. So we, she's in the pitch meetings. And it's a show about, like, a divorced woman and stuff. And I have my pitch, and she knows the pitch. And they would ask me questions, and she would be like, first, in her introduction to me, first of all, Jen's great. She's nuts. I threw her a wedding, and she did this. I'm like, oh, my God. <laughs> so now that's, like, been, like, we pitched it to HBO and FX, and now we're work doing a pilot, not a pilot script with FX, not mm-hmm. a pilot. But th- the point is, like, now it's just folklore, and it's like she's just babbling it to anyone who will listen. And I'm like, oh, my God. But it's so forgiven and so fine. But, like, now I know I would fucking never do that again just in case, you Mm -hmm. know? Like, I wouldn't even take a date to, like, a Christmas party anymore. Like, I keep everything on lockdown. When they're like, are you – what are you up to? I'm like, I don't know. (laughs) I just pretend I have no life and then I go home. Like, no one's going to know anything anymore. (laughs) Okay, I'm going to ask a question that if – 
here's a, dis- a disclaimer ahead of the question. That if I were asked it, I would probably go, Ugh, but I'm going to ask it anyway. Yeah. Um, it's a wo- woman comedy question. And whenever I get asked those, I, I am like, oh. But anyway, <laughs> here I go. Um, so it's just – it's interesting to me that you're saying it's a pretty ball-busting environment because yeah. it's heavily female, right? It's like it's like blatantly half and half. Oh, okay. It's like very half and half. Um, Which actually in this industry makes it heavily is, female. It's heavily female, <laughs> yeah. But it's so – I mean it comes from uh, – Chelsea and my boss, um, he's a man. They, they're both kind of – ball busty you know and it's even just in the language the way we speak if i'm like what if we did a thing like this my boss might go oh yeah because we do that kind of stuff all the time (laughs) instead of just going no that's not the voice you know like it's just it's just so normal to us like someone sometimes we have interns sit in that aren't going to intern for us but i mean they'll intern for the show but not the writers Mm. and they'll sit in a meeting like just to get the lay of the land and we're like oh god like they probably think we're all awful but yeah it's it's um we're all like that and we're all not like that. Like we all complain um, about you – know, like in other words, like we can complain about our lives and it's not like an unsafe environment. Mm-hmm. But like if you do a big grand show like that. I mean it sounds like it's just sort of that's what – all your senses of humor are compatible yeah. in that way and they tend towards that sort of ribbing in a loving and sometimes Yeah, because we're all way. stand-ups. So I think that's a di- – like forget male or female. I think that's a type of person, stand-up versus mm-hmm. not – so I think that's where that comes from. And then – but when I worked on that sitcom, it was like I had this orange sweatshirt that was very bright. And in the writer's room one day on the sitcom, this guy goes, hey, um, on your lunch hour, do you stand in direct traffic? And I – it was honestly such a benign joke. I didn't even get it. I was like, what do you mean? And he was like, the orange. I was like, oh, huh. And I just was just like, all right. And then he came up to me later in the kitchen and he's like, that was so inappropriate. I am so – sorry like and I was like huh what was I was like oh I didn't even register like it was so nothing Mm -hmm. like I was like oh do you think that's it was just that's how bored I was in the sense that like there was no it was so nice and so polite that it was just like oh forget it like it wasn't stimulating my brain Mm -hmm. but I don't go in for like meanness if that makes any sense like it's 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 not even a mean environment it's like we you can't believe with the love in which we toss personal stuff mm-hmm. around about, like even someone getting old or somebody going through menopause, like it's stuff like that has happened. You know, people have lost parents since they've worked there, divorced, married, had relationships almost end, have their wives almost leave them, age, go through menopause. Like mm-hmm. there's so many things and we love to bring it up to each other, mm-hmm. but it's so trusted and safe. Well, that that makes sense to me what you're saying that you don't go in for meanness. I I'm trying to remember if it was you that tweeted or wrote something about what I'm about to say or if it was someone. I think it was you, though, just that uh, professional comedians can handle cruelty in a funny way, whereas when random people on Twitter try try to do it, it does not come off in the funny way that they're trying. It just comes off as like, that's a shitty comment you just made. Yeah, and it's hard because I know people want to play along. So someone might write to me like, that sucks, you're not funny. And I'm like, if you think that, don't tell me. And they're like, I was kidding. And I'm like, but, how? How were you supposed to know that? I'm not. Yeah, I'm like, I don't have a familiarity with you. I don't know you, so I don't know you're kidding. And they're like, but you say stuff like that. I'm like, I actually don't. I don't write to anyone. You suck. Right. To my good friend at work, I might jokingly, and he knows I'm about to go into one of my insults because I change the tone in my voice, and he knows me. And I'll just be like, how long have you been like kind of an asshole? You know, like just something like that. But I. That's to him I say it because we have this built-in, you know, long-standing relationship as writing partners. So it's like 
And his name's Chris Vangelo. He's very funny. He always gets mad if I – he's always like, why do you act like I'm not a person in your life? Like, oh, it's just like, oh, my friend at work. Everyone follow at Chris Vangelo. But, so, but that kind of thing. Yeah, I'm always like – I hate when people go like, well, you're mean to people like in your – for a living. I'm like, I'm really not. I, I don't say mean things like – that on Chelsea lately, if we, we if there's no prerequisite if you're on the round table that you have mm-hmm. to say a mean thing about a celebrity, you can just say, I can't believe the way I this think is happening or whatever. People tend to think that comments that are sarcastic or edgy or acerbic are mean. You know, like I think yeah, there's they like mistake a lack a of sophistication yeah. or something as I condescend to the people <laughs> on Twitter, but it is. It's like, oh, sarcasm is like so different. And also, let's say I wrote something mean about. Whoever, Dina Lowen, like, seems like she's really got her life together with something sarcastic. She's never going to see that. Mm-hmm. And, but I, but when people go, well, you said that about her, I'm like, I'm a comedian who's commenting on the fact that she's in the public eye falling down drunk on Dr. Phil. Like, that's a cultural moment where you're almost sadly taking the person out of it and just going, a mother and mm-hmm. a person who's trying to be taken seriously got drunk and went on a talk show. Like, let's make fun of that concept. I don't want to be mean to her. Um, but I don't think it's I'm a phony. Like if I was in front of her, I wouldn't do that to her face because it's not appropriate. But that's I think a lot of people on Twitter are like, well, why can't I tell you you're an asshole because you did that to Dina? I'm like, she never saw it though. Yeah. I didn't write it at her. I've noticed that sometimes you will respond mm-hmm. on Twitter to people. How do you how does that go for you? I don't do it too much anymore, but I will write I I came up with a blanket thing of you seem fun. I will just say that if someone's cruel and I retweet it and then I usually let it hang for an hour or two and then I delete it. I just do it just to put it out there. Cause I think it's, I, sometimes I am amused and not in the sense that like, I hope it keeps happening, but mm-hmm. I'm like, Oh, I'm having a sense of humor about it right now. Let me just show people. What, Cause I think honestly, a lot of people don't know people do that. Like yeah. a lot of my followers are not entertainers. So they just think there's this world of, they really don't know. They're like, I can't believe people say that. So sometimes I just like hearing that. Like, not, oh, Jen, you're so great. How dare they? But just, I can't believe people are like that. I just, I'm trying to use it as like a, hey, this is what an asshole looks like. Don't be, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, but it doesn't usually go well if I write back with any kind of like anger. And then a lot of times I'll, I'll write like, that really hurt my feelings just to see what they say. Um, and that usually ma- makes people go, oh, I was kidding. Oh, and then does? I delete it so I don't look like a loser. <laughs> Yeah, I always hear these stories of like people tend to back down real fast, and I'm like, really? They, I have not found that to be the case. Well, unless it's something about like if I said something uh, political, political, or it just it's always white dudes. They get so offended. Their their panties in a bunch so much. I'm like, you guys do have nothing to be upset about. Like they get so upset about everything stuff that isn't even about them. It like just, what kind of stuff? Like um, I th- I said something about uh. Like there was this whole thing a little while ago about women in Saudi Arabia, Arabia who the guy that was like um, – the guy that's running it. That sounds really intelligent. But I really don't know his name. The president was like women can't drive because their ovaries get in the way. Like it's really bad for their ovaries. <laughs> um, he wasn't even saying if you get in an accident. He was like the position of the car mm-hmm. tilting is bad so they can't drive because they need to keep the baby maker thoughtful, intact. Right, yeah, thoughtful of him. And so I was just talking about that. And I was like, I always just go, great job, America. Those are our like best friend allies. Every president is kissing their ass. It wasn't a Republican, Democrat thing. Mm-hmm. And people will write back like, Obama likes them too. I'm like, yeah, I know. That was my tweet. I, I said that. That's what it's about. And then they're like, or just that kind of stuff. Like I get corrected a lot. Or it's like, 
um, why don't make fun of America like you have so many freedoms here and I'm like oh shut up it's just like that kind of thing where it's like but it's always like white dudes getting so angry I'm not saying all white dudes obviously but the only people when I look through my mm-hmm. Twitter who has called me the c word today who has corrected me on something that I didn't need correcting who has gotten angry at me it's like the white guy in the basement it's the guy that like maybe I should just let them be mad on Twitter because it's like the next level is like get the machine gun <laughs> like I'm just like just maybe let the disenfranchised people like now I don't really say anything to anyone because I'm now I'm afraid that everyone's like crazy and gonna like yeah. throw a rock at my head if they see me in public not that I am a public figure in that mm. way but no I know what you mean I know what you mean it's a because you can certain comments you can tell are a coming from a sort of unhinged, angry place unhinged, that it's yeah. not like it doesn't it's out of proportion to what doesn't what I always think is this ultimately does not really have to do with me. The person yes. doesn't know me. This is like they're reacting to something that they think I said or whatever. So yes. I should not engage with it. Occasionally I do. Yeah. And I always feel like, oh, why did I do that? I should just let it go. Yeah. These are the people I'm talking about. And I hate to say white. Like, I don't want the audience to get mad white guys. But I just mean like the, the unhinged basement dwelling, like somebody is mad about politics. Somebody's like a gun Seems owner angry, yeah. or angry or not that there's anything wrong with a gun owner, but you know what I mean? Like an angry kind of certain. I think a lot of people assume I'm this uber pro Obama person mm-hmm. and I'm like super weirdo lefty liberal, like make my own rules. Like I voted like third party. Like he's not Right. For me, really. I think I'm rather him than like Dick Cheney for president. But I've never once been like, great, great with everything, you know. And so if I write anything, people will tend to write anti-Obama stuff at me. So it's like those weird kind of yeah. anti-Obama people. I get like, tweets wait, that are like, hey, your friend Obama. I'm like, yes, I, I get that all the time. Dial. Yeah. <laughs> Why? What makes you say that? Yeah. I think because they know that I am more left than right. But right. But it's like a very black and white world. It's a very black and white world, which is like that's why I'm not totally pro-Obama all the time because sometimes I think he's very right or too middle or too whoever. I mean just the way that I feel everybody should be Mm. when they look at the president. Yeah. But yeah, that's what what I'm talking about. That's more specific. I get, hey, your friend Obama or you liberals always do this. And I'm like, don't confuse liberals and Democrats. Two different things. Yeah. Um, Why did you get divorced? I was so unhappy. I mean it was like that or die. (laughs) <laughs> I hate to put it I feel to- like you made the right decision yeah. then. No, I mean... I, Maybe I should back up and say, talk me through, like, why'd you get married? Oh, well, yeah, I think, like, I've always been the kind of, like, I've always known in my heart, like, and I don't mean to say this in a flip way, because I understand that gay people get killed for who they are and all that, but in the same, like, quiet way that you're like, I feel different than people... I'm assuming just it sounds like when my gay friends have told me about being gay, it kind of feels like there's a small percentage of people are forget the gay analogy. It's going terribly. But I've always felt kind of like different and weird. And I never thought about marriage. I always was very passionate. I fall in love easily. I fall out of love easily. I have no problem with it. I've always just kind of wanted to wander the world, but I always had all those fears we were talking about. So I had a fear of flying. I had a fear of this. I really felt like I'm not there yet. I haven't busted out with my wings. And I, it was not a conscious choice. Like, I'll just do this. It was just, um, I turned 30 and I was like, you know, I want to be this free spirit that travels the world and takes a lover here and there's something, <laughs> but not my life wasn't matching up to that. I had no money and any guy I was with was 
you know, Mr. doesn't call you back or was super committee, you know, I want to commit right now. And I just was like, I guess the world isn't meant for people like me. So I guess what I'll do is, you know, I'm weird enough. Let me normal it out. And like, I have to grow up sometime. And they say that you're eventually just going to be best friends with who you marry. So I I made this very clear choice. Like this guy I've been hanging out with is really nice. And like, he's the type of guy you should marry. And everyone else I've been with has broken my heart or made my heart broken or made me just insane with passion, love, and whatever. This is the first guy who does not stir anything like that in me. So this must be right. I actually thought I'm growing up now. And now looking back, I added all that other, I wasn't ready to be who I was yet. I needed like a partner in life. And I think he did too. Like, I think we came along and like helped each other like grow up in a way. And then certain things like that I would if anyone ever asked me for advice which they shouldn't but I just remember we were like walking in this neighborhood because we were looking to move in together and we were just talking about our goals and he was like when I'm 50 I want to retire and move back to the east coast where he grew up and I was like that honestly sounds like the worst thing I would never want to move back there and I never want to retire I want to be like Joan Rivers doing this home 80 I don't care if I'm the crazy old woman babbling on Hollywood Boulevard and that should have been a sign to me we're not similar. But instead I went, oh, who cares? That's, you know. In the future. That's in the future. And you can't break up over something like that. But you absolutely can. And it made me feel uncomfortable. And I'm sure him too. And slowly, but we became best friends. And we became really dependent on best each Best friends other. and also going out at that point? Yeah. Like we'd been going out at like for three, four years at that point. And we were moving in together and like looking at places and stuff. So. I mean, was there any passion between you guys? I don't think so. The fir- I think it was over within the first six months. Like, I remember thinking, um, yeah, the passion's gone. And then going, well, I mean, yeah, but that's what happens when you really love someone. And, you know, even just like, instead of really, I, I tried to talk about it in therapy. I tried to talk about it to friends. And I guess I wasn't screaming out enough no I know that whole thing but this really doesn't feel right Mm. I would just kind of say like we're not really you know and people would be like oh that's normal and I was like okay and then when it was like I mean when you're like months have gone by and we're just not like attracted to each other it it's then that you know but I mean it got like and then I just thought oh we should I don't know what society got in my head I was like as long as we're living together like I remember when my grandmother died. Um, it was like we were living together and had talked about maybe getting married someday. And when my grandmother died, it was this thing of like, I was like, shit, my mom's going to be freaking out. Like, it's going to suck. I'm going to have to like deal with my mom. Um, and he was like, yeah, well, what time's your flight leave? Like that kind of thing. And I was like, I feel so separate than you. Like mm. if we were married, it would just be assumed that you would come with me and help me who's dealing with her mom and then you're my rock and then that and that. I don't know. So I just remember saying like, we have to get married. Like that's the solution. Instead of looking at the relationship that he didn't have the urge to go with me. I I hope I'm not making him sound like a bad person. I was the shittiest wife that ever lived. But I was like, we have to get married. And he was like, okay. And then like, we just, you know, within a year we're planning a wedding. And I just knew there was just no fun. I was like excited. And I like loved him and, was like, oh, my God, look at your friends and my friends and our families, and this is such a fun day. But it was never like we stayed up till 5 a.m. and got drunk with all of our friends and then got on a plane at 7 
and went on our honeymoon. And like there was never any like I'm dying to be with him alone for one second. And mm-hmm. I had a really hard time writing my vows. And um, the woman that the Justice of the Peace was like, most brides have done like four drafts by now. And I'm like, well, I'm a writer. I improvise. You know, I, everything <laughs> always had a reason. And then when I was like, I've gained 40 pounds. I have no sex drive. I think something's wrong with my hormones. Like when it got to that point, I was like, oh, God. And how, like, how far into the marriage was that? Three months. <laughs> no, but like it was like six months when the weight really. And so we decided to go to counseling. And we went to this woman. that Counseling we went to like the year and a half point. And this woman was like, yeah, you guys seem like roommates. And she's like, I probably need about a year with you guys. There's a lot of stuff to undo. And then we we had this awesome lunch. And we're like, why do we keep asking everyone else for permission? Like, we don't – we're not happy. And we're like, yeah, let's break up. And then I fell in love with them over lunch because we wanted to – it was the first time <laughs> You we, guys were on the same page. Yeah, it was the most – I thought, weirdly, that it was the most romantic thing we ever did. It was the only time his mother wasn't involved in a decision mm-hmm. and – and families, it was just like us sitting there saying this really difficult thing, going, fuck that stupid guidance counselor, whoever, fuck this and fuck that. And then, you know, we decided to end it. And it was like, I thought it was kind of beautiful. I think he has a different opinion now about it. But, <laughs> but who knows? I mean, it took me a long time to talk about it because he was like, I don't want to be spoken for. Don't tell my business. Mm-hmm. So I feel like I'm keeping it neutral and that I'm just saying how I felt. But it still feels weird to talk about because – I'm saying how I felt about someone, like, and they didn't know it at the time. So that's why I keep saying, like, who knows? He probably thought horrible things about me because I don't mm-hmm. want – It's feel I feel so guilty, like, speaking about him as if he's, like, you know, not a living, breathing person or, you know. Right. Like, because was, he doesn't – do you actually not know what his take on everything is or he just doesn't want you to, to be talking about it? I'm not really sure what it is. We met up once for coffee and I had this totally – I thought we were going to be – I remember saying this to him. I want to be like David Arquette and Courtney Cox, like best <laughs> friends. And I think if you have a kid, it might be easier to want to do that. Mm-hmm. And I was like, I get it now. We're just best friends who made a mistake. Like we'll be best friends. And he was like, I don't really want to be. And I was like, really? And I think – I'm just assuming. I don't think – I think all the stuff he was unhappy about for years made him very angry and he never mm-hmm. looked at it. So he was like – I think just didn't want to look at me. It was just like, I don't want to marry this. I don't want to be best friends with this comedian that used to talk about our life on stage. Like I think he was just like, no. Mm-hmm. Like you go away now. And I was like, oh, OK. And then we never hung out again. That was like two years ago. And so it's been three years since we were divorced. But that was like this weird coffee we had this one time. And now looking back, I'm like, why did I even think we were best friends? Like – We didn't have much in common at all except that we were married to each other. And, yeah, so I think, like, I don't know why I got married. But that now I know I got divorced is because whether it was him or someone else, marriage does not make me feel comfortable. Like, I feel like a caged animal. Like, I just don't like having anyone else's mother in my life, Mm -hmm. as I've weirdly hinted at. Like, I just don't like other families. Like, it's just – I'm now I just feel – too old and set in my ways, like, I can't do it. So you feel like it's marriage that's not for you as opposed to that marriage? That marriage was not for me. But I also could tell it's not just this marriage that's not for me. Like, I didn't like the whole situation anyway. Mm -hmm. Um, It makes me so, like, wildly uncomfortable. Like, anytime even dating, if it's come out that that's someone's goal, like, I can't. It's hard because I I want someone who wants to get married to have, like, the wedding of their dreams. So... I would assume they're not for me. Like it would mm-hmm. be nice to meet someone divorced or someone who really like doesn't care um, because I would never want someone to be like, well, I guess I don't have to because I think that is like weirdly men, I think, 
equally have that urge as much as women. Maybe not for the actual wedding or something, mm-hmm. but most men I've met are very marriage oriented. So, right. but I have good taste in people. Like I don't like assholes or, you know, drunks or anything like that. So maybe it's just people I meet, but I would say 90% of men seem very marriage oriented. Mm-hmm. So um, I don't want to like ruin that for anybody. But yeah, so I just don't think it's for me. And now that I'm not afraid of anything, like I really do kind of just want to like wander around the world. <laughs> I, you said that every place you go, you fall in love with, like mm-hmm. every new place you go. I yeah. love that. I I it really am like uh I would like to not be like so completely alone. Like I just went to London and did some shows and I was there for 10 days and it was the best and I was so glad that I'm not afraid and I can walk around and I'm not all panicky and nervous like I used to be. Um And now is that you're you're not medicated every day, right? You just have clonopin. I just for have clonopin for flights, okay. yeah. I'm, so I'm that's from all through therapy then. Yeah. So all that kind of stuff of like I mean, I used to not even be able to get on a flight to Philly and wander around without being like, oh, I'm anxious, mm-hmm. you know. So just to wander around and be like, I'm wandering into this store and I'm having dinner alone. It's great. But then I'm like, OK, day seven, like <laughs> it'd be nice to have someone here. But I don't know if that's marriage because I would maybe want someone for a day to be my companion and then they go away. So it's that kind of. But yeah, everywhere I go, I kind of I kind of fall in love with. But it, it's I am like I have to go to Australia in March. I've been before just once. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, ah, I never flew there alone, though. Like, that still makes me a little nervous because that's like a 15-hour flight. It's a long flight, flight, yeah. And you're, like, over the ocean the whole time. So that kind of stuff I get, like, oh, but I know when I get there, I'll be like, I'm moving here. So (laughs) I can pretty much count on myself to always be wrong about what I'm afraid of. So at least now I know that and I can just say, you've never been right about anything you've been afraid of. One day I will be right. (laughs) (laughs) Um. But you you don't go on roller coasters, right? No, never. Do you? Not Magic Mountain ones. Like to me, those are sort of the pinnacle of scary ones. But oh, I yeah. will go on Disneyland ones, like and not Thunder Mountain. Fun. Yeah. What about Space Mountain? I can do Space Mountain. Oh my god! Mm-hmm. No, I'm brave. <laughs> That's so brave. No, I went on Thunder Mountain once when I was eight, and I could kill my dad. I don't know why he did this because he's not this type of person. Or maybe I was ten. But he's like, it's just a little train ride around the park. And it, <gasps> Well, that's just a lie. It's just a lie. And he would never get on a roller coaster now, but he went on with me. And that feeling where it feels like someone's stealing the breath from you and Mm -hmm. won't put it back in your lungs, I was like, that's what people like. (laughs) I can't believe anyone likes that feeling. I hate it. It's just never going to happen that I go to another one. I've been on like a flume ride, like if, like the uh, Splash Mountain. Splash Mountain. But man, I'd have to stand there in line and talk about it the whole hour like do you think it's gonna be okay do you think i'm gonna be okay it goes by fast right i'll be that person and then we go down it and that rush happens and i'm like Mm -hmm. let's do it again but only with that because it is so quick and there's one drop Mm -hmm. but repeated drops where you can't get your breath back uh uh-uh where are you with haunted houses don't like them i don't like those at all either no i here's the thing um my friend sarah colonna wrote this in her book, which is very funny, um, called Life As I Blow It. And when I read it, I was like, I've always thought this, so I'm not stealing her idea. But she says, and I agree, those haunted houses where people are just standing and dressed and like reach out and boo and touch you, if you were a murderer, wouldn't that be where you would go? (laughs) 
like I always now I'll never ever ever yeah, go. I always I think actual wasn't going murderers are going to be there yeah. and then just stab you. And so I just don't. Yeah, like what kind it. of vetting is going on? I feel like not very much. Yes. How? <laughs> yeah. And I always say to people, being a woman in general on planet Earth is a haunted house. Every time we walk in an empty parking garage, an elevator, I'm always like, mm-hmm. "What's coming around the corner?" Like I don't want. Every time you to- get into a car, who's in your back seat? Yes. Oh my god, <laughs> I don't want to pay for that feeling that I get naturally by just being the weaker sex. Right. People right. By just like, yeah. Assault. So <laughs> if I want to rush from fear and vulnerable, I can just walk around. Yeah, just go to like an alley at two in the morning. <laughs> so I'm like, no, it's just not my thing. Although I appreciate them. Like I like the haunted house at Disney World because you're riding in a car and it's mm-hmm. like silly. But no, I don't want to walk through something at Universal Studios where people are jumping out at me. Yeah. Um, so your book, I Can Barely Take Care of Myself. Mm-hmm. What was your um, process writing the book? Like, how did that go? <laughs> it was like uh, six months of pro- procrastination where I had to tell my editor I didn't even start yet. I need an extension. But I'm glad I did that because it took me a while to collect my thoughts. But um, the book is really just – I wanted to call it You'll Change Your Mind and Other Things People – say to me about not wanting kids. For some reason, Simon & Schuster, not my editor, but the bigger people didn't want that. They thought it wasn't funny. And I was like, but no one's going to buy a book because the title is funny. It's going to speak to people. Mm -hmm. And I think it's going to put moms on the defensive if I say a different title. And they're like, no, no, no. So I still am upset about my title. But um, but it was, you know, like one of the third, my third choice, um, the title that it is now. But anyway, my point is that it's about dumb things people say to people who don't want kids. Mm. And it's not like a manifesto of like, I don't want, you know, it's like, but did it, cause it's, it's, um, I, I'm sort of, I haven't read the whole book yet, uh-huh. although I definitely, I intend to finish it. I just, I'm, I just started a few days ago. Oh, yeah. um, but it's so, it's such a, a great marriage of being tied together by theme, but being these great stories from your past. Yeah. And so I'm just wondering, did it start with I want to write about not wanting kids yeah. or it did? That's kind of how I got the deal was um, my – actually, I've, I've been trying to write a book for so long. Like everyone wants to write the David Sedaris funny essays book. So I pitched that 50 million times to every different agency I've ever had and they're like – And then um, my, uh, my newer book agent a couple years ago that I got, um, he was like, you need – a hook, a theme, or whatever. And my manager was like, well, what about you have a couple jokes in your act about how you don't want kids and you're always telling me that people come up to you and say weird things and you've blogged about it a few times. Like, why isn't that your book? And you can just kind of, you know, use that as a theme. And I was like, oh, good idea. So I wrote a proposal and I don't even know how much my agent believed in it, but he was at lunch with this editor, Simon & Schuster, and they were talking about someone else and there was babies crying all over the restaurant. It was like this New York City she-she lunchtime place and she was like when did it become okay to bring your fucking baby to a restaurant like this like they kept having to move seats and she was like i just oh I, i'm sorry but i don't like kids at restaurants and then he got it out of her like do you want kids and she's like no i'm married my husband and i don't want kids people bother us about it all the time and he's like my client's writing a book about it and he told her about me and she's like i watched chelsea lately and then everyone wants to give a book deal to people who work for chelsea because she's a number one bestseller and it's an automatic, she's going to show it on the show. Right, like, platform. there's no secret about why that was attractive to give me this book deal as opposed to someone else who probably had the same idea. So that's kind of how that started. But she wanted it very, like, it's got to keep on the theme of I don't want kids. Like, it can't 
just turn into something else. Like it has to be wall to wall that. So for me, it was hard to like keep coming up with the same thing. You're like, but I have David Sedaris essays. Yeah, exactly. So I threw threw a couple of those in and they all actually did work around the theme. Um, But yes, for me, a couple criticisms I've seen where it's like, all right, we get it. I'm like, no, I know I get it too. (laughs) But that was kind of what she wanted and and that kind of thing. So yeah, that was, it always had to come back to that. But it was based on, like, I think there's 12 chapters, but it was roughly based on like 10 or 12 dumb things that people say. And then Mm -hmm. if I had a funny story about it or not, or even if it wasn't my story, like there's one about a chapter about when people go, who's going to take care of you when you're old, when you don't have kids. And I just told stories about every old woman I know who had kids, but ended up dying alone on the kitchen floor. And (laughs) and it's like my favorite chapter, even though it's not really about me. (laughs) Um, so I think we should do just me or everyone in a moment. But first, I yeah. want to ask you a question that I've been um, been wanting to ask, which is you have such a great style and kind of like edgy punk a little bit. A little. Do people call you goth ever? Do you get that? They a do, bit? but I'm like, do they do that to you ever? Yes, because all I'm the like, time. we're just brunettes that are mm-hmm. pale. Like I, like I'm too old to be goth. Even when I was a teenager, like I kind of wanted to be, but there wasn't. I feel like goth was like later. I don't mm-hmm. know. I wanted to look like Robert Smith from The Cure when I was a teenager, but they, I don't want to anymore. I would like to just look like a pretty lady. But yeah, I still get like, that's so goth. I'm like, that's just my hair color. Yeah. yeah. Well, so here's my question though. Have Do people try to or, or ever like tone you down or get you away from dark? I mean, you're actually wearing a very, a very yes. non-dark colored outfit today, um, which is very cute. But do people try to get you away from the dark stuff? Because I was looking at your press photos on your website. Oh, yeah, yeah. Which I love. And then I was thinking, um, you know, I feel like I have allowed myself to be sort of presented in the past, not so much anymore, uh-huh. as more of like a host every person than a personality. Yeah. And like, but I have my own style. And like, fuck it. I'm not going to wear bright colors anymore. Everyone can go fuck themselves. Yeah, exactly. Well, I wear all kinds. Like, I'll wear bright colors and stuff. I'm turning into what I say is when I'm on the road and I'm walking around a small town like Bloomington, Indiana, I'm like, I look like a prostitute. Like, <laughs> I love those big furry, see, like too. 70s jackets. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm like, I look like a whore. Like, that's but not slutty, like boobs out. No, just just nighttime all the time. Just like some weird, like a she-copping heroine. Like, what does that look (laughs) like? But that is like, which I'm not, I don't do any drugs. But but yeah, so I've kind of come into my own style and it could be midlife crisis. It could be divorce. It could be just, oh, I finally found my style or whatever. But yeah, I kind of, no one's ever tried to tone it down. And even with those press pics on my site, I just wanted like fun photos to take for when I'm on the road and they can, like the comedy club can use them. Because um, I hate like headshotty looking right. things for comedians. I just want it to be like, well, that's weird. What's she doing in that photo? But I don't audition, so I don't have to have like a proper headshot. So nobody's ever tried to get me to do anything. Thank God. I'm not, maybe I'm not big enough or whatever for any of my people that well, manage if, if me. If you to... don't audition, then maybe that's. I think that so might be. So you don't be. audition at all? For no, because I have to be at work all the time. So, I mean, it's, I even like on breaks when we have time off, like, Sometimes my agent will just be like, just go on this audition. I'm like, no, that's a lifestyle. You either have to do it Mm -hmm. and be in the mix or not. Like, I'd rather just play a lottery ticket than (laughs) spend my spare time, like, going on an audition for no reason. Like, at this point, I've been around enough. It's like, you know who I am. I don't mean, like, just give me a part. But I mean, like, you know you don't want me if you're having me in for an audition. Like, it's Mm -hmm. that kind of thing at this point. So if I didn't have a job anymore, I probably would. But um, it's not – I don't love it enough to – 
to pound the pavement like that. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So let's do just me or everyone. But mm-hmm. first, I just want to briefly tell everyone about LegalZoom. LegalZoom helps you incorporate or form an LLC with their simple questionnaire starting at just $99. Over 1 million entrepreneurs have done it. And 90% of customers recommend LegalZoom to friends and family. And the other 10% are certified lunatics. I bet if people out there want to get a divorce, I bet you could do LegalZoom. I bet you could. You can also (laughs) create a will starting at just $69. Do you have a will? No, but okay, this is freaking me out. I talked about it with my family over Thanksgiving, and my dad was like, shut up when you talk about that stuff. Like, don't talk about that. And I'm like, but I don't have one. I should do one. I've been, I'm not even trying to help with your commercial. I've been thinking about it, and I would think I would just do it on LegalZoom, but I'm afraid if I do it that I'm invoking like... You know, I know, like right. You're se- jinxing your life or something. Well, we're so the generation of the secret. What you think right. is what you manifest. So if I go fill out a will about me dying, I aren't know. I going to summon the... No, I, I know what you mean. Yeah. However, I think there are certain things where you just have to face sort of an eventual reality. Yeah. And and be prepared, which is why. Yeah. Like every f- responsible adult has a. I mean, I don't. I don't either. But every responsible <laughs> adult does. Maybe which should, is why we should get them. We should do it and keep in touch about it because I. I'm like I don't want my family. Like if I get hit by a car, I don't want my family having to like. They don't even know like where my apartment yeah. is or where my file cabinet is or who my accountant is. Like they they would be so fucked to have to do all this for me. So maybe I will. Do it. It's only $69. Or you can do a living trust quickly and easily and get peace of mind and protection. That, see, then when you put it that way, living trust. Mm-hmm. I'll do that. Okay, there we go. That sounds no, very and life-affirming. No, Right, doesn't it? It doesn't sound like you're going to die. It's like a warm hug. Yeah. A document that's a warm hug. And there's no surprise fees, no hassles, no headaches. LegalZoom's step-by-step process was created by a team of experts in law and technology. LegalZoom is not a law firm, but can connect you with a third-party attorney and provides you with self-help services from wills to business formations, trademarks, powers of attorney, and more. Go to LegalZoom.com. For even more savings, type Allison into the referral box at checkout. Don't put off the things you need to do, Jen and listeners. (laughs) Go to LegalZoom.com now and use discount code Allison. That's LegalZoom.com, discount code Allison. Okay, let's do Just Me or Everyone. Sometimes I ponder on something I have thought or done. Is it just me or everyone? All right. Beth Weiss says, I feel uncomfortable when I am the only car someone is waiting on to turn. I always feel obligated to speed up. Yeah, sometimes it's sort of like when you're in line for a public bathroom and there's just one stall and there's a huge line and you're like, God damn it. Wait, I'm trying to figure this out. When I'm the only car someone is waiting on to turn, she's... I just reacted to being the only car that everyone's waiting on. Let's okay, the only car someone is waiting on. Oh, she's turn. making a turn, and everyone's waiting on her to do it so they can get the f out of the way. I think is that, she's I saying. think so. Yeah. How are you interpreting that, Gary? I just like that she likes to speed up. <laughs> <laughs> well, I feel that way with anything. But I think mainly the bathroom, or even you know what happens too in line, like. There's no more, okay, here's your Starbucks. That's $3. Here's your change. There's no more put your change away while you stand no. there. You have to run with all your wallet and then go over to the corner and put your change away. Mm-hmm. And I don't. I want to be the person that's like, excuse me, I'm going to stand here like it's 1945 and we're still a polite society. Not that, that was things were better back then. And put my, but but be, yeah. regarding change, it was in 45. <laughs> regarding change and just calming the fuck down. Yeah. I feel like that. Yes, I'm always like running away and I'm like, just stand there for two more seconds. I'm always like that too. And if there's enough people behind me, I'll just forego whatever I'm trying to do. 
and just get back in line. <laughs> Depending on what it is. Um, all right. Mateo Van Mall. It's oh, a fancy name. Says when you see someone to the when you see someone to the door in your house, but somehow your visitor insists on closing the door himself. I die inside. Um, maybe I just don't have enough visitors, but I'm okay with that. I also don't have a big enough space to need to see someone to the door. I know. I can just kind of head nod. See ya. Is this a guy that has like a great room and a foyer and all kinds of things? Based on his name, yeah. Yeah. Um, I don't care if someone closes the door themselves. Unless he, does he have like more of an OCD thing where they maybe aren't doing it right or something? Oh, maybe. I, I felt the sense I got was that it has to do with etiquette. Oh, like, I, I think even, that's what he's saying, but I don't. But I don't have that. I don't understand that. I, I think role. anytime anyone's been over, I have opened the door for them. But if I had like a little party, you just open the door and leave when you want. Yeah, yeah. Also, my door just shuts automatically. Oh, but there you go. So it's like, yeah. But I don't know. God bless him and his fancy door. <laughs> John McAreevy says, when someone on a TV show gets an IM and I hear the alert, I have to check my phone even when it's clearly <laughs> theirs, not mine. Oh, yeah. And I think there's all sorts of commercials that that have alerts that sound just like yours. I do that with phones it. ringing and stuff. Mm-hmm. I thought it was mine. But also when someone on TV gets an IM, I'm always like, you don't really get the sound up. I know. But they have, they have to have that. For- now, how do you feel about IM? In general, I don't like it. Um, no, I used to have it up on my computer and then something happened and I had to like restore my computer to the original settings mm. and, uh, I forgot the password and never decided to sign back in. So now I don't do it. Cause I used to just, I used to be the person hiding all the time that you couldn't see me. I don't like anyone who just is so free and open. It's the same to me as if you walked in traffic naked mm-hmm. where you just turn on your computer and let everyone see that you're there. Like, yeah. are you crazy? I don't understand. Anyone can reach you. Right. I feel like there are certain people who write books about productivity. Like, I feel, I bet Tim Ferriss, do you know who that is? The four-hour work week guy. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, he has a show on CNN, maybe, or HLN. I bet he's like, oh, no, actually, he's probably not because he's all about conserving his time. But Gary Vaynerchuk, do you know who that is? No, unless you tell me what he wrote. He wrote a book called Crush It about is that the thing where it's like answer every single email as it comes in, don't save anything? Is it? Oh. I, like there are people who they have big YouTube channels. I think I'm not. I'm not uh, describing these guys well, and Tim Ferriss is not one of them. But I know. So, you mean it's one of these people that's like whatever comes at yeah. me, I just do it and I get I, it yeah, done. Yeah, I feel I'm, like they're on their computer. Yeah, they're yeah. like their little thing is green all the time. I don't under. I do not understand how. You can, like I just dis- like on Facebook, which I'm hardly ever on. I yeah. disabled that. Oh because yeah, because a oh, couple that's times horrifying. I didn't, and I felt yeah, I felt really. I felt like a naked person in a cage and. and People c- c- could come up and poke me with sticks. <laughs> it's similar to your walking around yeah. in traffic naked. Yeah, I feel way too exposed. I, but I don't like. I don't know what I'm afraid of. It's the same reason. It's the same thing as walking out of the grocery store and like trying not to make eye contact with the person soliciting. Yes, it's that uncomfortable like two minute thing where you have to go. I'm just not interested mm-hmm. right now. Also, right now. Yeah. Oh, really? I quick. do support. But here's the thing: I support whatever you're trying yeah. to get signatures for. I just don't want to deal with it right now. And it's also like I'm doing it on my own time. Like. This has nothing to do with it. But when I on my way here, I went to Starbucks, and this guy was holding a sign. He goes, free 10-minute massage? I go, no, I don't have time. He goes, oh, you don't have time. 10 minutes? I go, no, I actually have to be somewhere in 20. And if I, like, I have exactly 20 minutes. Yeah. And he was like, okay. I'm like, who's just walking around? Like, right. I'm assuming everyone in the Starbucks has somewhere to be in blank amount of minutes. Mm-hmm. Like, who is just like, and then I'll walk outside and see what's going on. Like, who's doing that? Yeah. Maybe more people are than I think. Well, no, I don't think. It's the same thing as, and this is going to make me sound um, 
antisocial or like I have social anxiety. But if I'm walking around in my neighborhood, uh-huh. not maybe not my neighborhood, I'm walking around further away than my neighborhood, and there's someone coming the other way down the street who I happen to know but not well, uh. I don't know what to do because I don't want to be... I don't want anyone to think I'm unfriendly. I don't think I'm unfriendly. It just yeah. so happens that I'm not wearing any makeup at this point, I'm sure. Yeah. And we're both trying to get somewhere, so I don't know how to deal with that. So I just do that thing where I I might not say hi. But, and then if they don't say hi, then I'm like, oh, maybe they don't like me. It's that, just, I've done that, too. I'm like, well, if I, usually that's why you have to wear sunglasses all the time. That's good. So you can always just be like, I had my sunglasses on. Oh, what? You know, you don't want to take out your phones and they can see you do that. Right. I don't know why I don't just say hi. You know why? Because it's that thing of like, oh, hi, I don't know if you remember me. We did a podcast together a long time ago. Anyway, I just, I recognized you from far away and congrats on your pilot. Okay, bye. Right. And you can't even just go hi and just keep walking. Yeah. That's weird. And, I know. Ugh. Levi Foreman says, sometimes when the sticker is too hard to get off a piece of fruit, I'll just eat the sticker. Just mirror everyone. No, I would eat around the sticker. Oh, yeah. I would cut it off or something. Yeah. I'm too afraid of, I don't know what bad sticker disease. Ariel Conversi says, just me or everyone, excessive question marks in a text make me feel stressed out and eventually resentful <laughs> to the sender. Um, oh. Yeah, I could see that. I don't know if that's happening to me or happened, but I would take that as like really aggro. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I My mother likes to send one that says hello with like seven question marks if we don't respond. <laughs> that's she likes, great. She likes to do group family texts and we all fucking hate it. Mm. So she'll send one that's like, she sent one recently. There was like a family party that night, to, like, like a birthday thing for like seven of us. Uh-huh. And she texted six of us at like 10 a.m. like, party day. And no one <laughs> responded. And like 20 minutes later, it's like, hello. <laughs> 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 and then, all, of course, all six people are like obligated to reply and be like, yes, uh, party day. My mom doesn't text. Oh, you're so you're lucky. lucky. I oh, guess you're so. so lucky. No, you are. <laughs> if no, I don't respond don't. to an email, sometimes my mom will just send me the exact same email. Oh, yeah. Which is the weird – but it, but with no – it's not annotated. It's not like, hey, did you get this email? It's just the exact same email comes back, which makes me – Does she weird... forward – does she just forward the old email or does she like copy and paste into a whole new email? She copies and – she yeah, she, I think she copies and pastes wow. into a whole new email. It's It makes me feel like I, I'm not allowed to pass to the next level of – passing these next few hours like life just repeated it's a weird sort of there's a glitch in the universe (laughs) my parents get very upset is everything okay i'm like them they're my only exception like it's easier if you guys just call me because i actually kind of don't mind talking to them Mm -hmm. on the phone and i can always just go i just don't feel like talking anymore bye (laughs) them like with all the people i have to email every day like i don't want to email them like just call me but they don't they don't call me sunlit cactus says feel a little betrayed when you graciously let someone in your lane and they proceed to drive too slowly yeah, that's always annoying. She's putting it nicely, betrayed. I feel like rage. <laughs> I'm like, you fucking narcissist psycho. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Kevin Garrett says, I want to sing the letters A-R-I-Y-N-B-F to the tune Camp Town Races. Well, after oh. I read that, then it then that song got stuck in my head. That Now I do. But I, I hadn't had that experience before. I'm so stupid. I didn't realize it was the initials to your show oh yeah for like the is. first second and i thought it was some weird aryan thing people, i'm like aryan boyfriend what that yes that is people <laughs> people often think it is that and i'm always explaining it's not well that. it's not even spelled like aryan it's just but people but every that's what it looks like to everyone like aryan boyfriend we're all like secretly racist i guess yeah. 
Matthew Reed says, just me or everyone, while peeing, I visualize my bladder as a full water balloon that shrinks as I expel my urine. How fun. No, I don't. I don't either, but that's probably like to. a great – that he should keep that in mind for if he gets like cancer later in yes. life. He can think about that when he's getting chemo and stuff. True. Brent Hudson says, when I drive past a house that has its curtains open and a big screen TV playing, I can't help but watch for a moment. <laughs> just me or everyone? No, I don't have that, but I always think – who has their curtains just wide open like that? So many people do because I'll look in your windows mm-hmm. and I'll keep looking. I like to look at holiday parties. I like to look at people like socializing yeah. and stuff. Yeah. Yeah. A lot. I felt like there were a lot of people living fabulous lives in my neighborhood around the holidays. Oh, that's all, nice. Yeah. All the parties. Well, it's nice, but it's also like, ugh, I wanted to be at, at that point. I wanted to be the dinner party kind by now and I'm really not. Like throwing them? Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I guess throwing them. Me too. I'd yeah. Like, that's who I want to be. Do you ever do that? I'll have like cocktail get-togethers, but it's just so hard to like get everyone – everyone's life is so different. I'm like, I don't want anyone to feel obligated. I had a little holiday get-together and it went well, but it wasn't sit-down dinner. Mm. But I would like – Well, a that's good. good. That's yeah. fabulous. Yeah. Ish. Yeah. It was uh, – yeah, it had a fabulosity to it. <laughs> <laughs> well, Jen Kirkman, thank you so much for doing my show. Um, everyone can follow you on Twitter mm-hmm. at Jen Kirkman. Yeah. And they can get your book, I Can Barely Take Care of Myself. You yes. know what? Why not get that on Amazon? If you're going to get something on Amazon, click yes. the banner on my website at alisonrosen.com. It doesn't cost you anything extra, and it does help out the show. Um, and let's see. What else can I should I tell everyone? Well, we have a ringtone available. Hey, 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 go fuck yourself. That's so You great. need this. And you can get that by searching Hey, Go Fuck Yourself on your iPhone in the iTunes store. You know what I realized, Gary? We missed a golden opportunity around the holidays to do Ho, 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 Go Fuck Yourself. Oh. Next that year. That is an opportunity missed. Next holiday. <laughs> I caught that too. I know. <laughs> what happened? You were trying to make it plural. I was – no. I wish. No, it's because it was – no, it's not. I was thinking it's because I was trying to change hi to ho, but it's hey to ho. <laughs> this all sounds funny. This is great. Fun I. <laughs> all right. Also, great news. We have a special. <laughs> I'm assuming this is great news to everyone. It's great news to Gary and me. We have a special bonus episode that we recorded live at the LA Podcast Festival available now. It is now live in the iTunes store and it is features Doug Benson and music by Matt Costa. He's great. Doug Benson is great. We're all great. And the Thursday group. So Gary, Chris, Matt, and 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 I am there. Um, Jenna could not make it for that show. But um, you should go get it. And features, it's only... features the origin oh, yes. of the butter sandwich debate right. that no one's ever heard before. Right, right. So we've been talking about whether a butter sandwich is a thing that exists or not. Because... I think so. Thank you. Mm-hmm. I think so, too. Gary doesn't. Gary feels like a butter sandwich is just two pieces of bread with butter put together, and it's. But anyway, we this. this I think both. I think that's what it is, and I think mm. it exists. That's very. That's like that's very zen to oh, think thank both. You. Yeah. We need to have her back for Thursday. <laughs> I'm not satisfied. Yeah, with this. On the, we talk about this on the Thursday show quite a bit. But if if you want to hear where this all started, go get that episode. Um, yeah, and it actually the, we also have another one from the first year that we did the podcast festival also available and that was a crazy odyssey to get that thing to go live in the store this one went really fast um yay what am i missing if you want to 
email the show, A-R-I-Y-M-B-F at AdamCrowell.com. Any other thing that you would like to plug? Um, I have a podcast called I Seem Fun. It's free and available on iTunes. And uh, no, that's it. Buy my book and go to my website and see where I'm touring, mm-hmm. JenCarkman.com. All right. Thank you so much. And thank, thank you. you guys for listening. And um, I will talk to you later. I love you. Hey, do you know about the Allison Rosen Show? Once again, this episode was sponsored by LegalZoom.com. Visit LegalZoom.com to save on your legal needs, like wills for $69, LLCs for $99 plus filing fees, and also get access to a network of legal plan attorneys for guidance. LegalZoom is not a law firm, but provides self-help services at your specific direction. Enter discount code ALLISON for more savings at LegalZoom. That's discount code ALLISON.